Good morning. It's great to see you. I want to say a special welcome to all of you at both of our locations and also to those of you who are doing church at home this morning. So grateful to have you guys joining us. Uh, Today we are in week seven of a series called Kingdom Life. And over the last several weeks, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and we're learning from Jesus what life looks like under his rule and his reign. And today we get to talk about a really fun and a really exciting topic divorce. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be back in Matthew 5. Just a fun chapter. I said to somebody Thursday night, this whole chapter just feels like Jesus is punching you in the face, doesn't it? And so we got more to go after today, but Matthew 5 is where we're going to be, all right? And as you're finding your way there, uh, I want to ask you a question that I've asked before, and I want all of you at both locations and watching at home to take part. Just play along, okay? Uh, By a show of hands, how many of you have been affected by divorce in some way? Okay, that's a lot of us here. I don't know what it looks like there, but in Cartersville, that's a lot of us. Okay, here's my next question. How many of you that just raised a hand would say you hate divorce? Okay, that's pretty much like every, if you raised your hand the first time, you should have raised it the second time, right? But that's pretty much everybody. Well, here's what I want you to know today. God feels the same way about divorce as you do. In fact, in Malachi 2.16, God plainly says, I hate divorce. He does not hate the divorcee. And some of you who've been divorced, you need to hear that because for far too long now, you've been living under this weight of guilt and shame, convinced that God hates you because of your divorce. He doesn't hate you. God's got great love for you. Uh, Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. So just rest easy today. But God does hate divorce and he hates it for many of the same reasons we hate it. I mean, he he hates it because of the damage and the devastation it causes in the lives of people who experience it. But God also hates it because marriage was his idea. You see, contrary to what popular culture suggests today, marriage is not a social construct that we get to tinker with and redefine. No, uh, marriage was something God created. It was something he instituted and he designed it for a gospel purpose. Meaning that through marriage, God's intention is to put on display before the world his sacrificial love for his people and his people's obedient love for him, which is why in our passage for today, Jesus makes this really strong case for marriage and against divorce. Now, before we dive into that, I need to give just two disclaimers, okay? And these are really important, so just lean in if you will. Disclaimer number one, this is a really hard passage, like really hard And so I'm gonna need to say some really hard things to you today. And in saying those things, I want those of you who've either been divorced or are thinking about divorce to trust and believe that in no way am I trying to shame you or condemn you, okay? As your pastor, I love you deeply regardless of whatever decisions you've made up until today, but I need to say some hard things to you, okay? Uh, Honestly, my goal today is what it is every week, Above all, I wanna honor Jesus by teaching you what he taught. And I believe that's the greatest way I can love you at the end of the day. Can I get an amen somebody on that? Okay, and then secondly, I wanna send you out of here filled with hope and filled with encouragement, but depending upon who uh, who you are, it might be a little painful to get there. And so you're gonna need to stick with me the whole time, okay? Uh, Disclaimer number two, 
I need all of us to remember today that we are not setting out to solve a math problem. We're about to have a conversation about the lives of real people. Therefore, we cannot approach this conversation as legalists. I mean, if you grew up with legalists like I did, you know legalists. They always love things to be nice and neat and cut and dry and black and white. And so the legalists will often say, well, nobody should ever get divorced for any reason whatsoever. And if they do get divorced, they should never get remarried. And I just want you to know it's more complicated than that. Look, neither can we approach this conversation as liberalists. Okay, the liberalists would say, marry who you want, get divorced if you want, get remarried if you want. And again, it's more complicated than that. And what Jesus has to say about this really important topic proves it. So if you're in Matthew 5, pick up with me in verse 31. This is Jesus preaching. Just gonna look at two verses today. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Are you starting to see what I mean now when I said this is a really hard passage? Again, you gotta stay with me the whole time, okay? What Jesus is doing in these two verses, what's what he's done in the previous passages. He's going back to the Old Testament scriptures and he's referencing a verse that the people would have been familiar with. In this case, he was quoting Deuteronomy 24.1, which says that if a man finds some indecency in his wife, he could just give her this certificate of divorce and send her away. Well, look, you need to know that this certificate Jesus is talking about, it was a regulation instituted by God through Moses, and it wasn't meant to make divorce easy. It was meant to prevent easy divorce from happening because it forced a man to sit down and to write out all the indecent actions of his wife. And if he couldn't do that, he was obligated to stay in the marriage. Like this dude, if he had no legitimate reason to call it off, well, he had to stay. And so the certificate was really meant to uphold the sanctity of the marriage relationship. But furthermore, it also ensured the protection of the divorced wife. You see, in this ancient Jewish culture, husbands could divorce their wives, but wives could not divorce their husbands. And because women couldn't work and they couldn't own property and because they couldn't receive inheritances, If a husband divorced his wife and sent her away without a certificate, well, prospective husbands would have no knowledge of her marital status. Therefore, no man would marry her and she'd spend the rest of her life as a poor social outcast. Well, even though that was the case, there were still men in Jesus's day practicing easy divorce. In fact, there were two camps that formed around differing interpretations of Deuteronomy 24.1, that phrase, some indecency. Uh, There was this one camp led by a very conservative rabbi, Rabbi Shammai, and he taught that some indecency meant moral indecency. So let's say that you married your woman and you thought everything was nice and it was going well, and then all of a sudden you find out that she's not a virgin. She wasn't a virgin before you married her. Well, this guy taught that only in extreme cases like that could you divorce your wife. Well, there was then a second camp led by a more liberal rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, And this brother taught that some indecency meant you could divorce your wife for basically any reason you wanted. So for example, if she burned your dinner, game over, dude. Like, just give her the certificate and send her away. Bad chicken, that's my reason, right? 
Or if you came home from work one day and she didn't have your favorite slippers waiting by your favorite chair with your favorite drink and your favorite show on. These were indecent actions that were legitimate reasons to end the marriage. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But this was the debate that led the Pharisees later in the book of Matthew, Matthew 19, to come to Jesus and to ask the question, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? They were trying to trap Jesus, by the way. But the question they were asking was this, Jesus, which side do you fall on? Which rabbi do you follow? And I love Jesus's response. I mean, he did this every time he talked with the Pharisees, just tripped these guys up, gave beautiful answers to their ridiculous questions. And so he basically says to him, well, neither. Like, I don't fall on either side. I, I fall on the side of the scriptures. And then he says to them, have you boys not read the scriptures? I mean, come on, you're supposed to be leaders in God's church. And so if you would have read your Bibles, you would know about this because Genesis 2.24 is really clear. It says that from the beginning, God created them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, here's what I love about that response. Jesus was pointing the Pharisees back to God's design for marriage. You see, these guys showed up and all they wanted to talk about is how a guy could get out and all Jesus wanted to talk about is how a guy should stay in. Because marriage by definition, don't miss this, marriage by definition is a lifelong covenant uniting one man and one woman as one flesh. Let me just say that again, okay? Biblically speaking, marriage by definition is a lifelong covenant uniting one man and one woman as one flesh. Now, let me say a couple of things about that. First, this is what makes divorce so painful. Anybody ever ripped their flesh open like unexpectedly? I'm not talking like you went to the doctor and found out you had to have surgery and they cut you open nice and neatly and then sewed it all back together. I'm talking like you're in the yard doing work and all of a sudden, oh no, didn't mean to do that. Dang, that hurts. Have you had an experience like that? Okay, if you have, you know, it's excruciating. That's divorce. Divorce is when a man and a woman who've been united as one flesh are literally torn apart. The second thing I'll say about our definition is this. I know that in the world we're living in today, that's not a popular definition for marriage. Marriage has been messed with, it's been redefined, it's been reapplied in many ways. But what we have to keep in mind today is simply this. That's Jesus's definition for marriage. Like it's not mine, I didn't come up with it, I'm not that smart. Uh, this is not Crosspoint's definition for marriage. This is how Jesus defines marriage. And it's so important for you to know this because there are people in our world today and some of them are professing believers in Christ who would argue and tell you that Jesus never addressed the marital issues that our culture continues to wrestle with. And that is simply not true. The proof of it's found right there in Matthew 19. Jesus is incredibly clear on what marriage is, who it's for, and how it works. And so the decision we all have to make is simply this. Will we side with culture or will we side with Jesus? Like whose word are we going to take when it comes to this relationship that God has designed? His or theirs? 
right? That's the decision Jesus forced the Pharisees to make, and it's the decision he forced his audience in Matthew chapter five to make. You see, here was Jesus confronting the men of his day who were divorcing their wives for the most ridiculous reasons and then justifying their behavior by saying, well, I gave her the certificate. I mean, I did what Moses commanded, so I must be good. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not good. In, in fact, you're the opposite of good. Because if you think you can break off this covenant you made with your wife before God and then pat yourself on the back as if God is pleased with you because you gave her a piece of paper, Jesus is saying that reveals that there are some dark things going on in your heart that desperately need to change. To hear me on this, divorce is almost always an issue of the heart. Almost always an issue of the heart. And my friends, come on, help me out here just from wherever you're watching what is Jesus after? He's after our hearts. This is what we've talked about over the last several weeks, right? Jesus could care less about our behavior if he doesn't have our hearts. You can be that religious person that spends your entire life doing all the right things, but if you do those things for the wrong reasons, they mean nothing to Jesus. He wants your heart. And so Jesus goes on and then he makes this practical point he says, furthermore, husbands, if you divorce your wife for ridiculous reasons, you need to know, even in spite of giving her that certificate, on a practical level, well, you have made both her and the next guy who marries her adulterers. All right, now let's just like slow down for a moment and talk about that. Because that's a shocking statement, isn't it? Like very shocking statement. And for some of us who don't know a whole lot about Jesus, it's even more shocking because that came off of his lips. And I know some of you are probably even trying to figure out right now, did Jesus just call me an adulterer? <laughs> and what I need you to do for a moment is to just get out of your head, stop trying to figure that out because you cannot miss the simple point that he's making. Okay, here's the principle. Here's the principle for us. Jesus wants us to know that if a husband or a wife divorces their spouse for bogus, unbiblical reasons. You tracking with me? Bogus, unbiblical reasons. Even though they might jump through the right hoops and go through the right legal processes and fill out all the right paperwork, Jesus is saying the marriage covenant still exists in the sight of God. Like just because they broke it off doesn't mean that God is agreed that it's broken off. Therefore, to leave and to marry another person is an act of adultery because the spouse they've left behind, in God's view, is still their spouse. Okay, in light of that, here's the simple takeaway. Here's what Jesus wants us to know. The kingdom spouses don't look for ways out. They fight to stay in. This is what Jesus is driving home in these two really short verses. The kingdom spouses don't look for ways out they fight to stay in. Here's what I mean by that. Spouses, husbands and wives who are truly surrendered to Jesus Christ in every way. Like the husband and wife who love Jesus more than anything else in life. Their hearts are fully set on him. They don't hold a casual attitude toward marriage. Well, hopefully this works out, but if it doesn't, it's no big deal. We'll just get a divorce. <laughs> no, instead, 
Kingdom spouses are those spouses that walk into marriage eyes wide open, taking it seriously because they understand what a serious thing marriage is to God. And they believe, well, it was his idea. He designed it and he designed it to be permanent and he designed it to be exclusive and he designed it so that when used rightly, it would put his very character and glory on display. And so kingdom spouses decide early on, uh, we're signing up for life. Like you don't get to get out and I don't get to get out. And the only way one of us gets out is if one of us dies, right? Like we're signing up for life. And then they resolve, we will do whatever it takes to fight to stay in by the grace of God and for the glory of God. So that raises a really big question that we need to answer. And it's a question implied right here in the text. Here's the question. Is it ever okay for someone to get out? Is it ever okay for someone to get out? I mean, Jesus mentions one possibility, which is sexual immorality, and we're gonna make sense of that in just a moment. But is there ever a point at which it is acceptable to God for a husband or wife to decide, you know what, I'm just not gonna fight anymore and I'm gonna get out? Okay, here's the simple answer. Yes, yes. But now is not the time for you to close your Bible and close your journal and go, thank you, James, for giving me my answer. That's all I needed. I'm out of here. Okay, that yes requires a lot of clarification and a lot of explanation. And so I need you to lean in over the next few moments, okay? Because what I want to do is walk us through the biblical grounds for divorce. It is a very, very short list, by the way. And as we walk through it, I want you to keep in mind that even when divorce is biblically permissible, it's never required, ever. Like even in those instances when God says you can, God never says you must. And I'm a firm believer that God can redeem and restore any marriage if both parties are humble and repentant and willing to look to him for help. So let me walk us through these, okay? Biblical grounds for divorce. Number one is death, is death. Pretty obvious, it's the most obvious list on the reason, uh, or uh, reason on the list, excuse me. Very, very little debate on this one. Uh, marriage is a lifelong covenant. And so when the life of one spouse ends, the covenant ends. And according to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians seven thirty one, at that point, the living spouse is no longer bound to the covenant and that person can remarry if they so choose, okay? So that's first, death. Number two is adultery is adultery. I'm gonna repeat myself on this because I wanna make sure you're getting it. Marriage, by definition, is a lifelong covenant uniting one man and one woman as one flesh, okay? Well, look, after that covenant is made, it's then consummated through the physical act of sex. And that physical act, it actually binds the, the couple together, the spouses together, not just physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. I would tell you that this is why sex is so important to a marriage relationship. I mean, I've said it in the past, but it's like super glue. I've heard one pastor call it covenant glue. It literally unites a husband and wife together like nothing else can. I would also tell you that this is why we as followers of Jesus Christ don't go around having sex with people we're not married to. Okay, you don't wanna glue yourself to people who aren't your husband or your wife, okay? And that helps us to make sense of adultery. Like if you go outside of your marriage and you commit that physical act with someone that is not your spouse, 
you actually defile your marriage covenant, and in that case, divorce may be permissible. So we have death, we have adultery, and then number three is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. This is what Jesus talks about in our passage in Matthew chapter five. Uh, That phrase, sexual immorality, it comes from a single Greek word, the word pornea. It's where we get our English word pornography. And it actually refers to a category of sexual behavior that falls outside of sex between a husband and wife within the bounds of marriage. In our culture today, this could include things like looking at pornography, going to strip clubs, sending sexual communication through email or Facebook or text. You get the idea, right? In those cases, listen, divorce may be, may be permissible, especially if the guilty spouse is unrepentant and will not get help. And then a fourth, a non-Christian leaves. A non-Christian leaves. In 1 Corinthians 7, the apostle Paul addresses this issue of a non-believing spouse quitting the marriage. And this could happen for a couple reasons, okay? Let's say that you're a believer in Christ and you decide to marry a person who doesn't believe in Christ, which I would highly advise against, by the way, okay? Uh, God is clear on this. As Christ followers, we only marry other Christ followers. But let's say you decide to ignore God on that. Like, I don't care what God says. I'm gonna marry who I want. And so you marry that person. And at some point into the life of the uh, marriage, they get tired of you talking about Jesus all the time. They get tired of you reading your Bible and praying all the time. Like they're sick of you giving your money to God's church, tired of you talking to your kids about Jesus. And so they just decide I'm out. Or a second scenario may be this. It may be that two non-Christians marry and then at some point over the course of the marriage, God gets a hold of one of them. You know, they hear the gospel. They show up to church or a coworker or a neighbor shares it with them and God grips their heart and Jesus saves them and the unbelieving spouse decides, you know what, I didn't sign up for all this weird Jesus stuff, so I'm out, I'm out. Okay, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that in cases like those, when an unbelieving spouse quits the marriage, the believing spouse is no longer bound to the covenant and can divorce potentially if all the right things are met. And so I would say one other thing on this, okay, and hear me. If you are a Christian married to a non-Christian and your spouse is committed to the marriage, you stay married. You hear me on that? Like if your unbelieving spouse is in, you stay in. You don't get to use the fact that they don't love Jesus as your excuse to get out. No, you stay in and you do your part in marriage and you love them really well in hopes that they come to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. And then I'm gonna offer one other possibility, okay? And that's abuse, abuse. And the reason that I label this as another possibility is because there isn't clear biblical support for this one. Like I can't open this book on the platform today and go see, there's the chapter and the verse that says if you're being abused, you can walk away, you can get out. It's just not there. But I am a firm believer that when abuse is excessive, when it is severe, that it may necessitate necessitate the need for a spouse to leave and to take the kids if there are kids present. All right, this might be a scenario in which a spouse is being physically or even sexually abused, or maybe the kids are being physically or sexually abused. Maybe a scenario in which illegal drugs are being brought into the home 
or abuse of alcohol is taking place and the spouse just will not get help. Again, this is really complicated stuff and there are a lot of variables that have to be taken into consideration, but in certain extreme cases, I would say again that abuse may necessitate the need for a spouse to leave. Now, with that very short list in mind, here's the next question we need to answer. Who gets to decide if those biblical grounds for divorce have been met? Like if you're struggling and you're going, I think they did one of those things to me and I wanna get out, like who gets to decide? All right, here's the answer, and this is not just my opinion, this is the scriptures, okay? Here's the answer. Not you. At least not you alone, okay? Uh, God is very clear on this in places like 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, uh, Hebrews 13, 17. God has established spiritual leaders in the church, these are pastors and elders, to provide oversight in situations like these. And so I would tell you that if you're struggling in your marriage today and you're thinking, I wanna get out, step one is you need to set up a time to come meet with one of our pastors here at Crosspoint. Like we wanna hear your story. We wanna hear why you're looking to get out. We wanna hear how you're fighting to stay in. We wanna meet with your spouse and hear the other side of the story because there are always two sides to every story, right? Uh, we wanna know whether or not both parties are humble and willing to do whatever it takes to save the marriage. Again, there are so many variables that have to be taken into consideration when you consider divorce, which is why God says, don't make that decision alone. No, you need to come and you need to meet with a spiritual leader. And I would even add someone that you trust. This is really important. I have heard horror stories, horror stories about people going to meet with pastors you know, a woman walks in and goes, dude, my wife's been beating the crap out of me. And the pastor says, well, I'm so sorry, you have to stay. Really? My husband's been cheating on me for 10 years now and he just won't stop. Oh, I'm so sorry, you have to stay. Come on, like really, like you need to meet with a pastor who loves Jesus and who loves his word and who loves you enough to come alongside of you and help you to figure this out. And so you need to meet with someone that you trust and let that person help you to determine whether or not the biblical grounds for divorce have been met. All right, are we still doing okay? Everybody still with me? I know this is a lot to take in and it's heavy stuff. I'm gonna try to lighten it up just a little bit here as we move into some more practical stuff, okay? With all that on the table, here's what I wanna do for the rest of our time together. I just wanna get really practical and I wanna give you some biblical advice that I've given you in the past. Uh, it's been a few years now and if you're anything like me, you don't remember what you heard three years ago anyway, so it doesn't really matter, right? So. This will be a good refresher for us all. But I wanna talk about what Jesus' teaching on divorce and marriage means for all of us. And to keep it nice and clean, I've categorized it into single, married, and divorced, okay? And so we're gonna start with the single people first. We got some single people out there, single people watching. Okay, I got some woos and I got some, I got some I am but I don't wanna be responses, right? So, all right, single people, here we go. Uh, you know this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. The first thing that you need to do based on Jesus's teaching is you need to date wisely. You need to date wisely. Okay, the ultimate purpose of dating is what? To find someone to marry. Like we don't date just to date, we date to find a spouse. 
And so what that means really simply is if you spend all of your time dating unwisely, dating the wrong kinds of people, you could marry the wrong kind of person. And if you marry the wrong kind of person, divorce could be in your future. Okay, I don't want that for you as your pastor. God doesn't want that for you. So let's talk about who to date, okay? First Peter chapter three. Peter gives husbands and wives some very simple instructions for marriage. And from these instructions, we can actually figure out who we're supposed to date. And so single women in the room, listen to what Peter says to husbands. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, ladies, based on this passage, here's what I would tell you. Only date guys who are considerate of you. Man, are y'all listening to that? Did y'all hear all those amens? <laughs> Trying to help you too, guys. But these are guys who are considerate of your wants, your likes, your feelings, your physical body. He ain't always trying to put his hands on things they don't need to be on, okay? You need to date a guy who works hard to understand you, even when understanding you seems near impossible. You need to date a guy who honors you as the weaker vessel. And that doesn't mean that he treats you as if you're beneath him. No, when you study the text out of 1 Peter, you find that he's referencing this, uh, this idea of how a person treats porcelain. They treat it with great gentleness and with great care. And then finally, girls, I would tell you, you need to date that guy who loves Jesus and treats you like a daughter of God. Okay, that's what Peter means when he calls you a co-heir of God's grace. But if you know Christ today, you are a loved daughter in God's family and you need to date a guy who understands that and who also understands that one day in the future, he's gonna stand before King Jesus and answer for the way he treated you as his daughter. And here's the thing, if a guy doesn't meet those standards, don't date him. And if you're dating a guy right now that doesn't meet those standards, break up with him and find someone else to date. And if some of y'all, you're worried about that, like, James, I've been dating him for a long time, and that seems scary, and I don't know what I would do without him. I'm trying to help you today because I love you, okay? And if you need help breaking up with that dude, we got plenty of people in the house who would love to help you do that. So you let us know <laughs> before you leave, all right? Single guys in the room, listen to what Peter says to wives in the same passage. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. All right, so my dudes in the room, here's what I would tell you based on that. Only date a girl who understands that her inner self matters way more than her outer self. Okay, this is the girl who, in other words, is more concerned with the condition of her heart than she is with the appearance of her face or the shape of her body. And you can ignore me on that and do the opposite. Like, James, bro, you just don't understand. She's hot. No, I get it. So is hell. That's a bad reason to date somebody. Like, seriously. Trying to help you, dudes. Listen, you can ignore me. 
and you can do the opposite. But I'm telling you, if you marry the girl who emphasizes the external over the internal, at some point you will be broke, miserable, frustrated, and disappointed because she ain't always going to look like she looks right now. And her lack of Christ-likeness when that day comes will make you wish you took my advice today. (laughs) And so, fellas, please hear me. Look for that girl who is obsessed with the hidden person of the heart. It's that girl who possesses this unfading, unperishable beauty that results from having that gentle and quiet spirit that is so important to God. And if you wanna know what that girl looks like, she's described in Proverbs 31. She opens her mouth and wisdom falls out. Kindness is always on her tongue. She feels no need to tear people down or to talk bad about other women because she's that secure in her relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the woman that you and your children will stand in the streets and praise one day because of her godly character. Finally, guys, I would tell you, this is the girl ultimately who loves Jesus so deeply that she would never dream of putting her hope in you (laughs) because she knows you are a broken, sinful dude who will let her down. Therefore, you make for a terrible savior. This is a girl who's gonna look at you from time to time and go, I don't need you to save me. Jesus has already done that. And I mean, I need you, but I don't need you like I need him. You're not my knight in shining armor. You can't do that for me. Only Jesus can do that for me. Guys, if you find that girl, you snatch her up because that's the kind of girl you wanna marry. All right, single people, I'm gonna give you one last piece of advice before we move on. And I always give this advice to single folks when I talk about this stuff, and it's so important. Single men and single women in the room, In your years of singleness, focus on becoming the right person over finding the right person. Are you hearing me? If you wanna get marriage right in your years of singleness, focus on becoming the right person over finding the right person. Like don't waste these years of your life just trying to find somebody to marry. No, use these years to grow in Christ-likeness to pursue Jesus, to fall in more or or deeper in love with him. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to clothe you in that kingdom character that we talked about a few weeks ago. And I promise you, if you will do that, at some point you will attract the kind of person you wanna marry. Single people, did I give you enough? All right, I could give you more, but I need to talk to the married people, okay? So married people, what does Jesus' teaching mean for you? Well, here it is. It means you need to live surrendered. It means you need to live surrendered. Okay, have you ever heard that claim that the divorce rate amongst Christians is the same as it is for non-Christians? Have you ever heard this? Like I've actually heard people say that the divorce rate for Christians is 50%. Half of all Christian marriages end in divorce. Well, I just wanna tell you today, that's not true. It's not true at all. It's a lie, it's a myth, don't believe it, okay? In fact, in 2014, a Harvard-trained researcher named Shanti Feldhahn, she wrote a book called The Good News About Marriage, and it contains eight years worth of research on Christian divorce and marriage. And what she found was this, that the divorce rate amongst practicing Christians is only about 15 to 20%. In addition, another sociologist named Bradford Wilcox, he did a similar study, and he found that the divorce rate amongst Christians drops by 50% when husbands and wives do three things. They attend church together, 
they share in theological beliefs, and they bring their faith home. So can I tell you what that means? <laughs> it means that Christian men and women are far less likely to divorce when they actually live lives surrendered to King Jesus. And so come on, I would tell you today, if you want to safeguard your marriage against divorce, do that. Do that. Like stay away from sleepy, nominal, cultural Christianity. Y'all know what I mean when I say that? I'm talking about that Christianity where all you do is show up and you go through the motions without any true affection for Jesus Christ at all. Like you just kind of put it on to make yourself look good before God and people. You're a different person Monday through Saturday than you are on Sunday. That's nominal Christianity. Stay away from that and be that husband or wife that brings all areas of life under his rule and his reign. Make Jesus the king of your life, of your marriage, and ask his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to empower you each and every day to be the spouse God desires you to be. And if you'll do that, you'll safeguard your marriage. Like I can honestly tell you today, in all my years of marriage counseling, I've been meeting with couples for, gosh, almost 20 years. That's about how long I've been in ministry now. Over all my years of meeting with couples, I've never sat down with a husband and wife whose marriage was falling apart yet both parties were fully surrendered to Jesus, ever. No, in every scenario, it has been either one spouse or both spouses who are refusing to love Jesus, refusing to follow Jesus, and their God over their own lives. Again, there's an easy way to safeguard your marriage against divorce, and it's not go out and buy all the self-help books you can find. It is live your life, surrender to Jesus, and make him your king. Divorce folks in the room. What does Jesus' teaching mean for you? Well, here's the answer. It depends. It depends. I don't know, that's probably not an answer that any of us want to hear today, uh, and we need to make sense of that, but that's the best answer I can give you. It depends. So let me explain, okay? If you are divorced and single, and you are asking the question, James, can I get remarried? I would say to you, well, it depends. It depends. This is why you need to come in and meet with one of our pastors here at Cross Point and let's sit down and let's talk and let's hear your story and let's figure out why your previous marriage ended. I would even say we need to have a conversation about whether or not you knew Christ when your previous marriage ended. I believe that matters. See, if you were a non-Christian when you got a divorce, that changes the game. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has gone. Praise God. Like he's changed things for you, amen? So you need to come in and we need to talk through it. And if we sit down and we talk and we figure out that the biblical grounds for divorce were not met in your previous marriage. This is such hard stuff. Like this is the kind of stuff I hate even saying out loud because of how much I love you but I have to say it because Jesus said it. If biblical grounds for divorce were not met, then Jesus says remarriage equals adultery. That's why Paul comes along later in 1 Corinthians 7 and he kind of picks up where Jesus left off and he says in that scenario, what you should do is either remain single or be reconciled to your former spouse. Come on, I know both of those things are a whole lot easier said than done, aren't they? But this should remind all of us today of why we take marriage seriously as Christ followers. 
should remind us of why we don't look for ways out, but instead we fight to stay in because marriage, not divorce and remarriage, has always been God's plan for his people. On the other hand, if biblical grounds for divorce were met, I would say, yeah, you're free to remarry, and I would give you the same advice I gave to all the single people. Focus on becoming the right person over finding the right person. Statistics show that the divorce rate actually increases in second and third marriages. And so whatever you do, don't rush back into anything. Like don't just run out and try to figure out who you're gonna marry next. Just slow down and take a breath and let God work in your life for a little while. And if you decide at some point that you want to get remarried, date wisely and date wisely for a good chunk of time so you can really figure out who that other person is and be careful who you marry this time. And then finally, for those of you who are divorced and already remarried, you've probably been trying to figure out for like half the message now and at this point, you're just ready. Like James, lay it on me. Okay, according to what Jesus is teaching, have I committed adultery? Like really? Is that something that I've done? And, and I would tell you, again, the answer is, it, it depends. It depends. If biblical grounds for divorce were met in your previous marriage, then the answer is no. But if you ended a marriage without biblical grounds for divorce being met while a believer in Christ, then yeah, according to Jesus, your new marriage began as an adulterous relationship. That's the really bad news, but can I give you some good news? This is the point in the message where we need some good news, right? So let me give you some good news. Your new marriage is still a marriage in the sight of God. It is. And that truth is implied right there in Jesus' words. He says, whoever divorces their spouse and what? And marries another, which would seem to suggest that even marriages that begin in adultery are not continued adulterous relationships. And so I would say to you today, instead of wasting your time being mad at Jesus for calling you an adulterer, Love Jesus and follow Jesus. Cling to him. Make him king over your life. He has good things for you. And all of these hard things that he's saying aren't meant to push you away from him. They're meant to draw you to him so that you can experience what he wants to offer. And so don't run in the opposite direction. Run to him and make him the king of your life, the king of your marriage, and do marriage differently this time. As we close today, we're gonna offer two simple invitations, okay? Invitation number one is into a deeper conversation. Okay, I realize that there are probably some of us who are walking away from today with more questions than answers, and that is okay. Like, I don't even know why I came to church. I'm so confused right now. <laughs> That's okay. We want to help. And so if you need to meet with one of our pastors, would you just let us know? Um, you could stop by the Next Steps table in the lobby if you're at one of our locations. Uh, if you're watching online, you can fill out a digital connection card. It's on the homepage of our website or just email us. If you go to our staff page, all of our pastor's emails are there. And so shoot us a note and we would love to meet with you as soon as possible. Okay, so that's one. The second invitation is an invitation to receive prayer today. Uh, I know that there are probably some of us who need that right now, big time. As we've listened over the last 40 minutes or so, God has really pressed into an area of life. He's revealed some things about our dating relationships or our marriages, and we need his help and we need his grace. 
And the good news is God offers those things freely to you, regardless of who you are or what you've done. And so in just a moment, at both locations, our prayer team, they're gonna be down front. And if you need to receive prayer, maybe you wanna actually have someone pray with you, they would love to do that. Or maybe you just want somebody to pray over you. I would encourage you as an individual or as a couple, just come and kneel at the front of this room and our prayer team will make their way and they'll just pray over you, same in Adairsville. And for those of you watching online, if you need to receive prayer, text us and let us know. Uh, You can text the phrase prayer request to 33777 and one of our prayer team members will reach out to you this afternoon and they'll pray with you, okay? Right now, I wanna pray for all of us and then we're gonna respond, okay? So will you join me in that? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, I just wanna ask that over the next few moments, God, that you would pour your presence out in this room, at that elementary school in Adairsville, across the homes, God, where people are gathered watching this message. Praying that your spirit would move in power, that you'd restore, that you'd redeem, that you would heal, that you'd convict. God, I'm praying you'd save marriages today. God, I'm praying specifically for that husband or wife that is just ready to throw the towel in, that you would offer a grace and a strength that can only come from you. And so God, we're we're asking for marriage miracles today. So God, would you show up? God, I, I pray for single people. Give them courage. God, if there's a relationship that needs to be called off, give courage where it's needed. God, whatever needs to happen in the next few moments, God, would you make it undeniably clear? Just come and work amongst your people. God, we give you this time and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.